book suddenly shrunk in size dramatically. Everything okay over there? Don't know your own strength, huh? <laughs> Got to have that door looked at. Yeah, school maintenance, right. Um, good morning again. Uh, we're going to continue with our, uh, our series on the end times and more specifically a look at uh, the book of Revelation. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Revelation chapter 9 this morning. Revelation chapter 9. <clears throat> and the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and, it was, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as scorpions, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, uh, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as a torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days men shall seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were as it were crowns of gold, like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates, and as it were, breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots, of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and their stings, and there were stings in their tails. And their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. One woe is past, and behold, there cometh two woes more hereafter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. And I just pray that you would open up your word and your truth to us this morning, that your spirit would teach us, and that our hearts would be prepared to receive your word. I pray that your name would be honoured this morning as we, uh, as we preach your word and as we learn from it. Lord, I pray evermore that, uh, that we would continue to grow in your truth that we would cling to it, that we would cling to your word and be able to use it to glorify your name in our daily lives. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I had a compliment this morning from Jean. Jean uh, gave me a compliment about last week's sermon. She said, that was a fantastic sermon you gave last week. And I said, thank you very much, Jean. And I, uh, I appreciate every now and then uh, a compliment, although I don't look for them at all. So don't give me any compliments, please. Um, but then Brother Alan was standing nearby and in his own inimitable style said, he goes, I was away last week. He goes, every time I'm away, he goes, it has to be at that particular time you give a good sermon. 
you'll pay for that one. There are things in our lives that we, um, that we see happen around us, but we don't see the thing that happens behind or know the reason many times why those things happen. I'll give you an example. In the old, in the old days, maybe in the medieval times and going back hundreds of years, you know, when people got sick, they had no concept of what viruses were or what bacterial infections were, and, and they had very little understanding about types of diseases that were, were around. They just knew someone picked up and died. <laughs> and they may have had cancer, they may have had diabetes, they may have had any, any, any uh, amount of, uh, of illnesses, um, but the, the people didn't know the reason behind. What was happening uh, inside, what was happening in the background was unknown to them. And a lot of times they would, uh, they would ascribe or they would look for reasons as to why, why certain things happen to certain people. And for those of you uh, from, from a European background or, a, uh, or even a, a Middle Eastern background, um, would be aware of things like the evil eye and, uh, and people, uh, and people uh, uh, ascribing curses. I know in Italian, in the Italian culture, unfortunately, it's very prevalent that you know, when someone gives you a compliment or just say you have, you have a daughter or a son and someone come and say, comes along and says, even a relative, they may come along and say, oh, what a beautiful little child. Um, they're, they're suspicious that behind that, that, uh, that compliment is a curse. <laughs> that they're giving the, the compliment, but behind it they're saying, oh, you know, I hope this child dies or something along those lines. So then, so then what they do is they have to have a counter curse for that, for that thing over there. Now, in, in our, and that was a lot of times they would ascribe those curses as reasons for why people died. Do you understand? So they, they, they tried to come up with reasons as to why people died. And, you know, uh, Uncle, Uncle Joe died last week. And I reckon that was because, you know, uh, some other relative or some neighbour gave him a bad look last time. I'm sure that was it. They cursed him. And as, you know, in our enlightened age, we understand a lot more about that sort of stuff. So um, we don't hear too much today about curses and, and those sorts of things. But unfortunately, uh, our society is throwing out the baby with the bathwater as well. So even though they're throwing away the superstitious stuff that isn't necessarily true, um, they've also thrown out the spiritual side of man. And in the, this particular chapter here, last week we looked at um, uh, God's curses or the, the coming judgment upon the physical world. We saw that you know, the, the seas were affected, the, the plants were affected and the grass was affected, that the sky was affected and all that sorts of, sorts of things, the water was affected. We looked at the first four trumpets and we saw God's wrath coming upon the physical world. And, uh, and last week I mentioned to you that it was interesting to note in that particular passage, in that chapter, how many times the, the third came up. A third of the sea died, a third of the waters a third of the plants, a third of... And it kept on going on and on. And you... And I told you last week, this was an indication, or this was a bit of a telltale sign about what was happening spiritually in the background. Okay? So even though it was happening in the physical world, in the background, something else was going on. And this week, we're going to look at a, a, a bit more about that in, in more detail as we look at 
the fifth trumpet, and only the fifth today. We're not going to look at, uh, at the fifth and the sixth. It was a bit too much, I thought, to, to try and cram in. But as we read through the passage today, we're going to have a, a more in-depth look about Satan's fall from heaven and the beginning of his destruction upon the earth and the havoc that he, that he um, uh, imposes on the earth. I want to, to, to remind you that uh, it was Satan who led a rebellion in heaven and it was Satan who drew a third of the angels from heaven. And we're going to look at that as well and how that all plays out in the physical world and especially during this time of the, the Great Tribulation. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 8, verse 7. I also want to go through quickly the, uh, the first four trumpets that we looked at last week. Revelation 8, 7 says, The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. And the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. Last week we looked at the, environment, the environmental impact of all those fires that were happening around the world at that particular time. And we estimated, using fairly simple mathematics, that it was the equivalent of 3,000 Victorian bushfires happening at the same time. So when we looked at it, 400,000 hectares of, of, Australian, uh, of Victorian bushfire going up in flames during this past season, um, it was like 3,000 of those, all happening at the same time around the world. Now, verse 8 says, And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. We then looked at, in more detail, the possibility of this being a meteorite, or some sort of an asteroid that, that, that impacts the earth. And we looked at a specific example. We looked at uh, the size, or, an, or a meteorite, the size of roughly a one square kilometre in area, hitting the sea and found scientifically that, that it would be equivalent to about 600 atomic bombs going off at the same place at the same time. Quite an impact, quite an explosion. 600 atomic bombs going off at the same place at the same time. In this case, it was the ocean. We saw the result of that explosion would send huge amounts of matter into the upper atmosphere, which would then spread all over the globe and then would, would rain down all over the globe as, as bits of fiery material and would, which would cause huge amounts of fires which would burn up the grass, which would burn plants and which would cause a, a, a lot of havoc. We then looked at the resultant explosion with the fires that would raise the temperature and the acidity of the oceans and it would also deposit huge amounts of ash and nutrients into the ocean all at the same time. And that would change the chemistry of the oceans. And as a result of that, it was very possible that you would have tremendous amounts of algal blooms starting to form in the oceans. You know how those of you have seen the pool? Your pool, if you leave a pool without putting chlorine and everything in it, uh, what colour does it go? It goes green. Well, there is a red form of that. Okay? And that red form that, that we... we uh, occasionally see in the oceans is called red algal bloom and it has a toxic effect. It actually is able to kill fish. 
and it could I'm not saying it would or it, or it definitely uh, is but it's a possible reason for the ocean turning red in addition to this the explosion and resultant fires would cause huge amounts of acid rain which would pollute much drinking water and the ash and debris from the meteor would darken the sun, the moon and the stars which brings us to the third and fourth trumpets. Read, look at, look at chapter, sorry, verse 10. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers, and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star was called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Verse 12 says, And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as a third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. My aim in sharing this information with you last week was to encourage you to believe God's word. Because many people who have found it difficult to understand how these physical things could take place have been led to symbolise everything in the Bible. You know, the great mountain I expressed to you last week, you know, some people have thought to themselves, well, how can a great mountain, a fiery mountain, come down from the sky? Because they haven't been able to picture that in their heads, they then symbolise it to mean governments and everything else. And they, they end up in all different types of rabbit trails. But... What I want you to do is to believe God's word. If, if, a, if God says that a physical thing is happening, let's take that first as a physical thing rather than trying to uh, symbolise everything in the Bible. We've found that where a plain interpretation is possible, then it's better to go with the plain interpretation and believe God's word. In addition to that, though, God has been able to teach symbolic things through physical things. You know, where God has, God has done physical things in the world, whether it was the, the ten plagues of Egypt or whether it was parting of the Red Sea or all those types of things, God is able, has been able to teach us symbolic things through those physical acts. Symbolism should never take precedence over the practical. For example, Jesus walking on the water. There are a lot of liberal churches today that... Now look at that account of Jesus walking on the water and they'll say, I don't believe that Jesus actually walked on water. I can't, I can't believe that. So therefore, that would have to mean something else. So they then try and symbolise that and they'll say that Jesus really didn't walk on water. It was about Jesus' dominance over whatever it might be. I would tend to say, no, Jesus did walk on the water. And it was also showing that he has dominance over the, na the natural elements. This is, what I'm, this is what I, the point I was trying to make last week. And, and many times God is able to teach us symbolic things through numbers. You know, and a lot of times in the Bible, the same numbers come up over and over and over again. And we've been able to, uh, to ascertain what those numbers mean in general cases. For example, the number seven, a very simple example, normally means completion. God created the world in six days and the seventh day he rested and normally seven means a complete number in God's economy. We're going to look at uh, the significance of a third more closely now. Turn to Revelation chapter 12 for me, verse 1. 
Why does God bring up the third over and over again in this particular chapter? Revelation chapter 12 says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads, and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, let's stop there for a moment. The woman in this particular passage refers to the nation of Israel, or Israel in general, through whom came the long-awaited Messiah. See, it was Israel that was travailing in birth for so long. Then Jesus was born through Israel. Remember, he was a Jew. And when he was, uh, when he was born, the, dev- the devil tried to destroy him and his ministry. If you remember, the, Satan, or the, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness and Satan did his best to try and uh, tempt Jesus to go against, what the, go against his father's wishes for him. But the Bible says that Jesus won the victory over the devil. Throughout his whole life, Jesus lived a sinless and perfect life and even when he was crucified, he won that victory over death as well and he ascended into heaven, as it mentions here. Now, in this particular passage, in verse 4, it says, The devil, who was Satan, drew, in verse 4, a third part of the stars of heaven. Now, that, does that mean, and did cast them to the earth, does that mean that literally a third of the stars of heaven were thrown to the earth? Well, no, because the size of the average star is millions of times bigger than the earth. So it, that doesn't fit. Which stars is he talking about here? The stars that this particular passage is talking about are the angels of heaven. And the angels are often referred to as stars in the Bible. So when the Bible says that the stars fell... It's symbolic and actually the angels falling from heaven. Verse 7, Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. Go, go forward a few verses. Now pay attention to this, this passage. It's very crucial. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels. Okay? And prevailed not, neither was their place found in heaven, sorry, any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, the old, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So a war takes place in heaven at, at a particular time. And Michael and the angels that he commands fight against Satan and the angels that he commands, the third that were drawn with him into his rebellion. And the Bible says that Michael wins with his angels and the devil and his angels are cast out of heaven. Notice how it says in verse 8, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. 
The devil still today has access to heaven. He still can present himself before God. He hasn't been kicked out of heaven yet. Neither his demons. He can present himself before God and, and still parade himself around heaven. He is not restricted at the moment to his movements or whereabouts. But in this particular passage, we find that there's a war. And then after that war, Satan no longer has the ability to be able to enter heaven. His place has been restricted to the earth. Turn with me to Job chapter 2 verse 1. I want to illustrate this point for you. Job chapter 2, verse 1. Again, look at this very carefully. Satan had already fallen here. Satan fell right back in the garden, right back in, in Genesis. But now we've got Job, and it says, And again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Who are the sons of God? They're the angels. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto, said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? Where are you coming from? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. Been up and about, been walking around. I've been walking around the earth. Satan still had access. Satan has access to the earth and both to heaven during Job's days, and Satan still has access to heaven now. But when war breaks out, Satan no longer has the privilege of being able to Stand before God's throne. And this was also foretold in Daniel. You don't have to turn there, I'll just read it out to you. And at that time shall Michael stand up. This is in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time shall Michael, that's the same Michael, we see who's the archangel that's mentioned in Revelation. He shall stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. Now he was talking to Daniel, and the pe Daniel's people were the Israelites. Okay, were the Jews. And there shall, shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Daniel says, or what's revealed to Daniel is that at a particular time Michael is going to stand up, which normally reflects or means that there's a war about to take place. And there's going to be a time of trouble such as never was. Now we know this particular time of trouble is what's called the Great Tribulation, the last three and a half years. So this war is happening around the middle of the Tribulation period. You know the seven years of Tribulation? The first half is relatively peaceful, although you've got wars in there as well. But during the middle part, this is where things get really nasty. This is where the Antichrist sets himself up in the Temple of God as, as God himself. This is where the Jews start to be persecuted more and more because they reject the Antichrist. This is the time when Satan is cast down to the earth and he's confined to the earth.
And in this verse it says that Michael stands up for the children of Israel. He stands up and the Bible says that he is their prince. In other words, he is the one, Michael specifically, who watches over the Israelites. And he has to defend them. He has to watch over them and guard them because the devil, if you look back in Revelation chapter 12, does his best then, once he's confined to the earth, he does his best to try and destroy Israel. And Michael has to defend them. Turn back with me to Revelation chapter 8, verse 13. I've got you, I've got you going all over the place today, but uh, I'm hoping that it, uh, it helps you to understand what's going on. Revelation, uh, back to Revelation 8, 13. And it says this, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Now this is between the first four trumpets and the last three. And in between, the first four trumpets are not called woes, but the last three are called woes. The term woe basically refers to anguish, affliction, sadness, misery and wretchedness. All these synonyms paint a fantastic picture of the terror that is about to fall upon the earth. A time when Satan is cast out of heaven and terrorises the inhabitants of the earth in the short time that he has left. Now I want you to pay particular attention here. This particular uh, time, the angel says, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, the people that are living on the earth, because the, um, uh, by reason of the trumpets, which are yet to sound, the next three trumpets, we're looking at the fifth one now, that first one. The term woe is made in reference to only two events in the book of Revelation. It's only two times it's mentioned in the book of Revelation. One is when it refers to these three trumpets that are about to sound, it calls them woes. Okay? And the other one is found in reference to the devil being cast down to the earth. They're the only two times that the word woe is used in Revelation. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. Go forward a couple of chapters, a few chapters, to Revelation chapter 12, verse 12. And I want you to see. So Revelation 8 tells us, says, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of these next three trumpets that are going to sound. And then Revelation 12, 12 says, Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Look what it says. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. That's woeful. The woes of the three trumpets reflect the woe of Satan being cast down to the earth. And he begins to persecute the woman, which is Israel. The devil finds himself confined to the earth and like a caged animal begins to fight against all those, first of all, who identify themselves with God and then even the ones who identify themselves with the Antichrist. He, he, he tries to destroy not only the ones who are, who are opposed to him, but the ones who are with him. And that's typical of his behaviour. That's typical of Satan's behaviour. 
The devil hates mankind in general. He hates you and I with a specific passion because we no longer follow him. He hates those who have turned their backs on him and have put their trust in Jesus to save them, but he also hates those who are happily following him along as well. He hates them too. There are those in this world who are loyal to Satan. The majority of the people in this world are loyal to Satan. If they follow their own path, they're following Satan's path. But Satan is loyal to none. He is loyal to himself. It was perfect truth when Jesus uttered these words, The thief cometh not, but to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's a direct reference to Satan. He's a thief and he came to steal, to kill and to destroy. In John chapter 8 verse 44 it says, He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So, when a liar, a murderer, a thief, a destroyer with immense power is let loose and confined to this world, with thousands and possibly millions of his demons can you imagine the devastation? In the light of this background, this is this, what's happening in the spiritual realm while we see the devastation on the earth. We're going to look at this fifth trumpet. Turn to Revelation chapter 9 as we begin to look at in more detail now the fifth trumpet. Revelation 9.1 says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Now, this verse mentions, is this a star, for, a literal star falling from heaven? Well, no, I don't believe it's a literal star falling from heaven, because it refers to this star as a he. It says, And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Well, a star can no, can no more carry a key than it can be referred to as a hymn. This indicates that it's not just a star, but do you remember the angels were called stars in other parts of the Bible? This refers to a specific angel that's fallen from heaven. But notice how it's, it also says, I saw a star fall from heaven. This refers to that fall. This refers specifically to that time when Michael stands up, there's a war in heaven, and this angel is cast down to the earth as well. This is either Satan himself or one of his angels that's been cast down to the earth. In verse 2 it says, And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as a smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. It's a bit like uh, a fireplace. That's where the smoke's been held in. And all of a sudden you open up the thing and all the smoke comes out at once because of the great furnace, because of the great fire that's there. Notice how it says, notice how it, says it sends out a smoke, a great smoke, as if it was a furnace. That's because it is a furnace. It's, it's literally hell. 
the bottomless pit that John, that, um, that John mentions here is none other than the place where the wicked angels have been held in detention. They've been held, they've been chained there. Now, let, let's understand something. Not all, the, not all the demons of heaven or the demons of hell were chained in this place. Only a certain group of angels are chained in hell. The rest of them are allowed, are allowed to roam free around the earth and, and have been roaming around for thousands of years. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain this to you for the moment. You just need to understand that not all God's angels, not, sorry, not all the fallen angels have been chained in this place. There, is a, there are a select number that have been chained there. The rest of them, along with Satan, have been allowed to roam free. There is a special class of demon who God has confined to this place. They were confined there until the time of their judgment was to take place. Turn to, let's, let's look at this a bit more in, uh, in, in detail. Turn to Genesis chapter 6 verse 11. Genesis 6.11 says, And the earth, this is in Noah's days, remember this, the earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. It's time for the end. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. God saw that all flesh had become corrupted and violence was everywhere. There were murders, there were, there were terrible things that were taking place throughout the world. And the only family that held their belief in God and that weren't involved in this type of corruption was Noah and his family. The rest were involved with violence, murders, fornications, the whole lot. Notice that the Lord says that the earth is filled with violence and the flesh, all flesh, had become corrupted. God was about to judge the earth. You see, Satan's angels had done a fantastic job of corrupting all the people on the world, in the world at that stage. And Satan's angels can do that two ways by influencing men and by possessing them. So they had, they, Satan's goal was to corrupt all of mankind. He had caused Adam and Eve to fall and now his job, knowing that there was a, a, a promised redeemer that had to come through the lineage of man, his goal or his aim was to corrupt all of man. Make all, every person in the world corrupted either through possession through influence of, of demons and they were doing a fantastic job. Satan's uh, demons inspired evil among men and God had to destroy the world in order to save the world. What happened to those evil angels? 
What happened to those ones that were influencing and possessing men to do such evil things? Well, turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Second Peter chapter two verse four. Right towards the end. Now I want you to before we read this passage, I want you to, to think about something. If God destroyed the world and left only Noah and his family, then and, and allowed the angels and demons to, to escape this particular time, what would happen? Again, straight away. As soon as Noah and his family started to started to uh, to multiply again in the face of the earth, they do exactly the same thing. Okay, wouldn't they? God had to provide a way to restrict this from happening. Look at look at Second Peter chapter two verse four. It says, "For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to where, to hell." And delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. And look at verse 5. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, the preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Look how, look how it links. The, the angels being cast into hell and chained until it was time for them to be, to be judged with the time of Noah and the corruption that was happening on the, on the earth. Jude makes the same point in Jude chapter 1, verse 6. But Jude speaks specifically about, about Sodom and Gomorrah. Turn to Jude chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. We'll have a, we'll have a read of that one just so you understand the point here. Sodom and Gomorrah is famous or well known for its sexual immorality and the sexual immorality was so bad that God had to literally destroy Sodom and Gomorrah not with water like the flood but with fire raining down from heaven look what it says in Jude chapter 1 verse 6 and the angels which kept not their first estate which basically means they left where they were supposed to be and went somewhere else and did something else, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Verse 7, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. The, Satan's demons, even after the flood, changed tact. Instead of filling the earth with violence, they started going through fornication and started corrupting certain places. But we don't see the spread as, as we saw before the flood of that sort of corruption. Notice in both cases... The angels are thrown into hell and they're reserved in chains until it's time for the judgment. Did you notice that? Okay. Let's look at Jesus' day. Let's look at a specific example 
of what Jesus did when he encountered demons that would we're playing around with the same sort of thing. Turn to Luke chapter 8, verse 26. Keep in mind, keep at the back of your mind now that the angel that has fallen from heaven has a key to this bottomless pit. And in Greek, the word is abyss. Okay, the bottomless pit is the Greek word abyss. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 26. And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man which had devils long time. And wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bounding with chains and in fetters, and he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. Now look at who, what Jesus asked this man. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they, now I want you to, I want you to pay attention to this verse. And they besought him, they, that's the demons, besought him, that's Jesus, that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And there was there and heard of many swine feeding on the mountain, and they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them, and he suffered them. The demons asked Jesus not to throw them into the deep. What is the deep? Well, you know that word deep? Guess what word that is? Abyss. They pleaded with Jesus, don't throw us into the abyss. Cast us into a group of, into a herd of swine. And Jesus actually allowed them that privilege. Which means Jesus had the authority to cast those demons straight into the same place that the other demons had been cast into. And they knew that once they were there, they were in chains until the time they would be judged. Jesus had the authority to cast them in straight into the abyss. Now, Peter and Jude, this is a side note, Peter and Jude both tell us that it was God who threw, who had the authority to throw disobedient angels into the abyss in the first place. Jesus had, to, had this authority even as God, which is another argument for his deity. Jesus had the authority to directly cast the demon into that abyss. Now, think of this. All those evil angels that had corrupted the world from Noah's day, the, ones, the same ones that were corrupting, or another group that was corrupting Sodom and Gomorrah, the same ones that had done the, probably the most despicable things on this, in this world, trying to corrupt mankind 
are now about to be released back into the world. I want you to understand something. That's the same thing as going to every prison in the world and releasing every murderer, rapist, thief and criminal back into society. But much worse. Let's read on. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 9 verse 3. I hope you got the picture here. Revelation chapter 9 verse 3 says, And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but they should be tormented for five months. And their torment was the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death, and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions. And there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. Satan releases the angels from that abyss to freedom. But they are confined to the world. They can't fly out. They can't go up into heaven. They are confined to the world. And here John refers to them or likens them like locusts flying out of this hole. Now these are not typical locusts. I don't believe these are locusts. And there's a number of reasons why I don't believe they're actual locusts. One, it says they don't eat grass or vegetation. If a locust doesn't eat grass or vegetation for five months, it's not going to last as a locust. Normal locusts couldn't survive without eating vegetation. They are given power to hurt men. Normally, locusts do not hurt men. They don't have the ability to be able to do that. It also says that these locusts have a sting in their tail like a scorpion, but only they have to be able to distinguish between the ones with a mark upon their head, God's mark, and the ones without. So they only sting the ones that don't have God's mark on their head. I don't know any locusts smart enough to be able to distinguish between those two types of people. Their description, if you look at it, ensures they're not locusts. It says they are shaped like horses. They have crowns on their heads. They have faces like men. They have hair like women. They have teeth like lions. They have breastplates of iron. And they have wings like sound, sounding like chariots running into battle. This is a very, a pretty terrible... When you, when you put all those pictures together, it's a pretty uh, nasty-looking thing, whatever it is. But the only, reason, the only way we can understand this particular uh, uh, description is in the light of the demonic, is in the light of the angels that have been released from the bottomless pit. And if you look at these particular characteristics, you'll find that they refer to specific 
characteristics in demons. For example, the crowns on their heads refer to the authority that's given to them for that specific time. They're likened unto horses because horses in these days and before were used in what type of, of thing normally? War. These things were going out to war. It says they had the face of men. Well, that may have something to do with the fact that they are intelligent like men, rational beings. They're able to distinguish between good and evil and right and wrong and all the other things that men are able to distinguish. They're able to rationalise. It says they have women's hair. That's because they went to the beauty parlour the uh, before they actually came out of the... Um... Uh, it's interesting. I, I was thinking about that one there and I thought to myself, the, the, the only, one of the only places that's referred, that refers to women's hair in the Bible is where it speaks to the woman hair being a what? A glory to her. Mm. Um, maybe it refers to their beauty, their glory. It says they have teeth of lions. Well, lions' teeth are fairly destructive, as far as I know. It says they have breastplates of iron. Iron's pretty hard to get through. If you're, if you're, uh, it's a good defence if you've got if you've got a breastplate of iron, which means they're they're fairly indestructible. And it says their wings. They have wings which, uh, which make a noise like war. Well, if something's got the ability to fly, it's very manoeuvrable. It probably speaks about how quick they're able to get around. And you know, all these things fit very nicely into the image of a demon that we have. These beings are let loose. They've been confined for thousands of years and they are dying to get out. They know that their time is short so the, the, first, the thing on their mind, first and foremost, is to cause as much havoc as they possibly can. Look at verse 11. Who is the king over these, over these specific beings? Who is their king? It says, and they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit. The angel of the bottomless pit, whose name is, in the Hebrew tongue, Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. Well, guess what both of those words mean? Destroyer. The devil came not to kill, but to kill, to steal, and to destroy. The devil is the great destroyer, and with his cohorts have been released, being released from prison, is going to do as much destroying as he possibly can. Now, it says that men will feel their pain and torment for five months. Right? They are going, many are going to be afflicted for five months with these specific beings causing pain, being able to sting and cause pain to men. Now, do we see that anywhere else in the Bible? Do we see Satan's ability to be able to hurt man directly in the Bible? Yeah, we do. Job again. Job. Turn with me back to Job chapter 2, verse 3. Job 2 verse 3 says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity. Fast his integrity. 
although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. Stop there. There's two things I want you to just take from that passage because we're about to close up. Two things. One, Satan is able to inflict physical pain and sores and disease directly upon man. He has that ability. But you know the other thing? God is able to restrict him as to what he can and can't do. He didn't have the ability just to go and kill Job. And the same thing is happening in this particular case when all these demons are let loose. They are not allowed to kill men. They are allowed to torment them, but God puts the barriers. And somehow, we don't know this spiritually, we can't picture it, but God is able to restrict the movement and, the, and the, the work that Satan does in the, in the world. God is able to restrict the demons, as bad as they are, and Satan from being able to kill all of mankind, because they probably would. Give them half, half an opportunity, they would have just destroyed all of mankind. They could have done that. But God says, no, you're not going to destroy mankind. I'm just going to let you torment them for five months. God's aim is always to give man more time to repent. At every step, Satan has tried to corrupt mankind from the beginning. Satan has tried to corrupt. And where he can't corrupt, he tries to kill. He tries to destroy. Since the Garden of Eden, the Bible shows us what Satan's tactics are. And we shouldn't be ignorant of those tactics. We shouldn't be ignorant of his schemes and his tricks. We should be knowledgeable from God's word about how Satan tries to tear down God's people and tries to destroy us in particular. We should know how to fend off his attacks. When Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, Satan, uh, sorry, Satan used a time when he was at his weakest, when he was at his most vulnerable, and Satan will do that with you and I. The times when we are at our weakest, when we are at our, um, uh, when we're not feeling well, when we are uh, demoralized, when we are, uh, whatever it may be, when we have a sickness, Satan will use those times to try and attack us. But how did Jesus repel Satan's attacks? It was using and quoting the word of God. He simply quoted God's word. And we need to be able to do that in our daily lives. We need to be able to we, we need to know God's word well enough to be able to quote and remember scripture at the right time. And the Bible says that the, the Spirit will give us that ability to be able to remember his word and also to bring it up at the right time, because he brings it up at the right time. The tribulation period that we've looked at here, this this fifth trumpet, reveals Satan's true nature and of human wickedness. You'll find out, we'll find out after the sixth seal that even after all this 
torment and everything else that takes place, man still doesn't repent. There is no repentance there. So we find out about Satan's character and about human wickedness. It's easy for us in our day when Satan is being severely restricted. At the moment, Satan's severely restricted. God has put the blinkers on him. God has restricted his ability to be able to, to do much. We have a freedom that previous generations have not. And we take it sometimes for granted the spiritual warfare that's actually taking place around us to give us that freedom. How many demonic possessions have you seen around you? I haven't seen any direct demonic possessions of people that, that are going crazy. Where the devil throws them into the fire and does all, all types of things like that. The devil is, at this stage, restricted in what he can do. Therefore, we have the responsibility and ability to be able to share God's word, to live as God wants us to live. We need to be aware that there is a huge battle taking place around us. As Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. The devil has been enthroned in this world. He is a king over, the, over the, the demons of this world. Satan is enthroned not only by his demons, but in the hearts of all those who follow him. See, there's only two types of people in this world. There are those who have sworn allegiance to the other king, Jesus Christ. If you haven't sworn allegiance to that king, you're following another king. And that's the king of this world, the God of this world. One who seeks the destruction of every man, woman and child on this planet. The question today, which I will leave you very plainly, is who do you have enthroned in your heart today? Because if you haven't got Jesus enthroned in your heart, I can guarantee you who else you've got enthroned in your heart. Brother Don, would you come and lead in our last sermon? Thank you. Our song.